<laughs> we all can improve our marriage. Some of you are here because maybe you need a marriage tune-up. You just need to maybe change some plugs and some wires. Some of you, you may need like a, a marriage overhaul. You might like rebuild some stuff. I mean, you need to take some broken things out of your marriage and put in some fixed things, right? And so you may need a marriage overhaul. And some of you may be here because you need a marriage miracle. And your spouse isn't here because you got in a fight this morning. But I want you to hear me this morning. God can heal anything. God can heal everything. God can turn any situation around. Can I get a better amen? Amen. You say amen, I preach faster. Just trying to help me help you. That's all. So each week's going to build on the other one. We're going to go to Genesis and and we're going to start. And I'm going to give you this morning the first teaching on marriage, God actually installed his first teaching on marriage in the book of Genesis chapter 2. And let's read this verse. It says chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. You should have a handout. If you do, you can take notes along with me. I I do that just to help you and and, and give you something to take home with you. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, And the man and his wife were both naked, come on somebody, and were not ashamed. First teaching in the second chapter of the book. Say this with me, say marriage is important. It's important because it's what's under attack. Right? The enemy's not going to go after something that's not valuable. He's not going to come against something that doesn't mean anything. He's coming at the family because he wants to tear it down. Because when the family's healthy and the marriage is healthy, the gospel gets preached. Right? And so the enemy's coming after, but God has a plan. God has a purpose for us. So I want you to do something real quick. If you're sitting with your spouse, I want you to grab their hand. We're going to pray together. If you really love them, you can put your arm around them. If you really, really love them, you might want to give them a big old smooch right now on the lips. Yes, you can kiss in church. Go ahead. It's okay. Let's pray. And if you're single, if you're single, just say, bring them on, Lord. Bring them on. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the next four weeks. We thank you for marriages that are going to tune up, marriages that are going to overhaul, and marriages are that, that need miracles, Lord. But we're going to see it all, and we thank you for that. Lord, every one of us needs a tune-up. Every one of us can use an overhaul. And at times, we've all needed a miracle in our marriage, Lord. So would you bring it, Lord, would you bring it to us today? We thank you for it. We thank you for ordaining marriage. This was your purpose, Lord. This is something you created. Man didn't create marriage. You did. And so we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be talking today about the four laws of marriage. How many of you know there's some laws to marriage? Now, we don't like the word law in Christianity because it makes us feel like we're under the law. I'm not talking about that. But there's four laws that we find in this one verse that are geared or pointed towards marriage. I want to give you a quick story about law. Uh, My son, Ethan, he's not here today, so I'm going to pick on him. Uh, He's 16. He's got his driver's permit, and uh, he's been practicing. And if you've ever done this before, it's pretty nerve-wracking. Right? You give your teenager the car and you sit in a seat with no controls. Right? No brake, even though you're trying to find one sometimes, no steering wheel. And you give your teenager control of a vehicle. It's quite crazy. 
And for all of you that your kids aren't there yet, just get ready. I'm just telling you right now, get ready. It's coming. And, and, and the craziest day is when they actually drive off by themselves. Your prayer life changes. You grab a hold to heaven like you never did before. I promise you, I never forget, I was sitting on the front porch. Virginia took off by herself in our car on the road. And I'm watching her going down the, the drive. I'm like, Lord, I encamp angels around her, Lord. Protect her, Father. Keep her safe. My prayer language changed, right? But Ethan was driving the other day. We were coming back from, uh, I guess, Fenton or somewhere. And we were coming down 190, coming back into town. And I, you got to learn your kids. Me and Virginia did well. I did good teaching Virginia. She could receive from me better. Her mama would just frustrate her and, and make her nervous. And so I did most of the teaching with Virginia. But Ethan, he does better with his mom. And, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that because I sit in the back seat. I mean, this is like really fun. You know how long it's been since I've sat in the back seat? I mean, I can sit on my phone while somebody else drives and, and, and do whatever I want to do with no pressure, no worries, no concerns. Well, maybe not the concerns and worries, but no pressure. So we're rolling into town, and, and he's doing a good job, and I'm in the back. I'm about half asleep. And we're, we're approaching Popeye's, and for some reason, I looked up, and the light was red. And we weren't stopping. In fact, it was one of those moments, it was kind of late for me. If I would have been running the light, it would have actually been late for me. So I was really surprised. I was like, you better nail it or break it. And he nailed it. And he went through. And so then I had to give him the high-pitched, strong encouragement. Do you realize you could have killed somebody? Do you realize you just broke the law? Do you realize? And I gave him the what for? Come on, somebody. Come on, parents. Don't, don't let me feel bad right now. <laughs> and I had to help him understand that he broke the law. Okay, you might get away with that one time, but you keep doing that and living that way, eventually you're going to get in a wreck, you're going to get a ticket, you're going to get something, right? And so we're talking about four laws of marriage today, and it's important that we follow the laws that God has given us for marriage. I believe every marriage can make it. I believe if we apply these four laws, your marriage can make it, and God can do a miracle. I want you to hear me this morning. God can turn any marriage around. Do you believe that? He can turn any marriage around. So law number one is the law of priority. It says this, that a man shall leave his father and mother. It doesn't say that he shall live with his father and mother till he's 38. Just saying. <laughs> a man shall leave, that means he's going to leave his father and his mother. So we're talking about the law of priority. Here's the deal. God ordained us to leave our parents and then to cleave to one another. So before you left your house, you were the priority, your parents were the priority, but now that you've left your father and your mother, you're joined together with your spouse, they become the priority. They become the priority. Not you, not your parents, they become the priority. It's the law of priority. That's what your spouse becomes is your new priority. But too many times, we take the very person that we love and the person that's supposed to be the priority, we take them for granted. Come on, let's just get real honest this morning. I've taken my wife for granted before. 
I just want to confess. I'm going to do a lot of confessing during this series because I need some healing in my soul. Because <laughs> I'm preaching to you and me this morning and through this whole series. My marriage is not there yet, but it's on the way. Amen? <clears throat> but if you do that and you continue to take your spouse for granted, you're going to be breaking the law that God ordained for marriage called the law of priority. Now, I realized uh, a couple of years back that my wife is jealous. She is. She's not jealous of me, but she's jealous for me. We were living in Crowley, and we had this big old place, and they had like the perfect man cave attached to the carport. This thing was like 20 by 20 with a fireplace, lots of old wood in it. When I saw it, I was like, ooh, man cave. Oh, yeah, I seen stuff, animals on the wall, rugs on the ground. I mean, it's man cave. And so we remodeled the house. I took care of priority first, you know, get, make sure everybody had a place to sleep. And then we, and then I was, I had my eyes fixed on the man cave. And I was like, babe, it's time to do the man cave. And she kept resisting me. And I didn't know what it was all about. I thought she was like against my man cave. I'm like, baby, it's a man cave. Every man needs a cave. <laughs> right? I'm like, come on, I'm a man. I need a cave. <laughs> and she was like, I don't think we need to do that. And she was just kind of wigging out. And it was, she was acting different than I, I'd ever seen her act before. I'm like, well, what's the deal with the man cave? You know, I'm like, what's up? And it wasn't until later that she helped me understand that she, was, she didn't realize it, but she was getting jealous for me. She didn't want me to go f- into another room of the house and spend my time away from her. You, you seeing this? She was jealous for me. She wanted my time. You see, I'd been giving all my time to starting a business, to running a company, to uh, pastoring a church, and to doing all these things. I was giving my time to everything else, and I wanted to go get some time to myself. I mean, she could have come into the man cave. You know, we call it our cave. But we didn't talk all that out. But I realized she was jealous for me. And I want you to understand something. God is a jealous God, right? But he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. There's a big difference. He's not jealous because you may be doing something sneaky. He's jealous because he wants to be with you. And I believe God put inside of every one of us a legitimate jealousy for our spouse. Come on. Because when you left your mother and your father, God's intentions were you to cleave to your spouse and there to be a legitimate jealousy for one another. If you're constantly hearing them complain, (laughs) don't raise your hand. (laughs) If you're hearing your spouse complain, it's not always them that needs to change. We spent the first half of our marriage, me trying to convince Cheryl to quit complaining. Quit complaining. Until I realized that I needed to change something in my life because because their complaints meant something. Come on. Her complaints meant something. There was something in there that she was talking about, something she was trying to communicate. And I had to realize my spouse is my number one priority. But there's things that steal our priority, right? There's some things, and I want to give you about four of them that steal our priority. The the first one is money and and jobs. A lot of men struggle with this. We want to go and, and, and 
provide for our family. And it starts out very innocent, right? We, we pursue a career. Maybe we step out in the business ourselves and we, we go all in, right? Because we want to provide. So we want to we get a raise. Men like to win, right? Come on, men. Men, this is your opportunity. Preach with me. I'm trying to help a brother out. Okay, men, men want to win. Men want to provide. And it starts out very innocent and very pure. We want to go and we want to kill the meat and bring it home. But before too long, we fall in love with killing the meat. And we don't even realize it, but we've fallen in love with our career and our job and money. And it's become, it takes the place of our real priority because we're spending all our time, energy, and effort on that thing. Another thing that, that steals our priority is kids. A lot of women struggle with this one. Come on, somebody's preaching with me this morning. Kids steal our priority. Listen, when your man comes home, ladies, you need to run and put a big old smooch on his lips. Right? He's the priority. Come on, man. I'm trying to hook a brother up. He needs to, he's the priority. Come on. Men, when you come home, don't go hug on your kids. Go to your wife first. Sometimes your kids can get in the way of your priority. Listen to me. It's not intended for your kids to come before your spouse. I'll say that again. It's not intended for your kids to come before your spouse. Sometimes it's your hobbies that get in the way. Sometimes it's, some of you spend too much time at the lease, at the mall, at the, on Facebook, at whatever. You spend too much time doing too many things that aren't meaning anything. Sometimes your friends and family. You can't talk to your mama more than your spouse. Remember you left them. Some of you need to have a conversation with your parents or your in-laws. I'm serious. You need to have a conversation that says this. Hey, I appreciate your input. You're very wise. And I know you can give me a lot of good wisdom. But we're going to figure this thing out on our own. And I really don't need you involved. (laughs) That's the best way you can say butt out. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You need to have a conversation. So here's your priorities. Let me give you the priorities of your life. This is what it should be. Here's your priorities. Number one is God. Number two is your spouse. Number three is your kids. Number four is your church. Number five is your family and friends. Number six is your work. And number seven is your hobbies. But you've got to be careful that you're giving your best to the first three. Come on. Don't save all your energy and resources for your hobbies. Spend it on God, your wife, or your husband, and your kids. Amen? You need to give your best to the first three. So let me give you four ways that, to prove that, 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 that your spouse is a priority. Number one is sacrifice. What will you give up for me? Listen to me. If you're walking out the door, man, I'm going to help you out. If you're walking out the door and you've got meetings, you've got things, places you've got to be, and your wife is crying, or you can just tell, and listen to me, you know. <laughs> you know that look when she ain't right. If you're walking out the door and she's not right, the best thing you can do is put your bags down, put your stuff down, send somebody a text message, say, I'm going to be late, and go and take care of your wife. Amen? She's the priority. What are you willing to sacrifice for her? What are you willing to sacrifice for him? So one way to prove that that your spouse is your priority is is what are you willing to sacrifice? The second one is time. 
time, your time proves that your spouse is your priority. You know, money is the commodity of business, but time is the commodity of relationships. Just like money is the commodity of business, time is the commodity of relationships. You want to invest in your relationships, you got to use time. Say it with me, say time. The third one is energy. Are you giving your best energy to your spouse? (laughs) Are they getting the leftovers? Ooh, pastor. Are you giving the best energy to your spouse? Are you giving it to work? Are you giving it to your kids? Come on, you got to answer these questions. The fourth one is your attitude. <laughs> your attitude shows your, your, your spouse that they're priority. you got to have a good attitude. Listen to me, just because you go through bad things doesn't mean you need to have a bad attitude. I'm going to say that again. Just because bad things are happening to you doesn't justify you having a bad attitude. Listen to me. I want you to understand something. You can have a good attitude in a bad situation. You can be broken, still smile. Your kids can be crazy and driving you nuts, but you can still smile. You can still have a good attitude. Sometimes men don't want to come home because of the attitude. Sometimes men bring an attitude home and the wife wants them to leave again. (laughs) I'm not taking sides this morning. I got to go home with my wife. So that's four ways to prove your attitude. I I want you to write this on your notes this morning. What thing is currently getting more of your sacrifice, time, energy, and attitude than your spouse? Only you can answer that. What's getting more? Is it your kids, your job, your friends, your pursuits, your hobbies? Let me give you this freebie this morning. You need to listen to each other's comments. It's a lesson I'm learning right now. You need to listen to your spouse's comments because watch this. Most of us don't know how to communicate well. Most of us struggle to get what's on our chest out of our mouth with the right attitude and in, a, and in a way that it'll be received. Are you hearing me this morning? So you need to listen to your spouse's comments because when they take those pot shot comments at you, there's usually entwined in there a whole lot of truth. So you need to listen to the comments. And when, you're, when your spouse makes a comment at you, instead of commenting back, you need to ask for clarity. Hey, hey, ho, time out. Call a time out, time out. What did you mean by that? Help me understand what you meant, because that that sounded pretty hard. And I'll be honest with you, I want to shoot back. (laughs) Can you you help me understand? Because listen to me, there's truth in there. You've got to create an environment of communication. So listen to their comments and then ask clarifying questions. And watch this. Stop taking pot shots at one another. You're one. (laughs) You're no longer two. Amen? Number two, law number two is the law of pursuit. And the scripture says, and hold fast to his wife. In the Hebrew, that's a verb that means pursue. So God's saying you need to leave your mother and your father and you need to pursue. Come on, men. You need to pursue your wife. Go back. Go back to when you were pursuing her. What did you do that you're not doing now? You brushed your teeth. You wore cologne. You got your hair trimmed weekly. You... you, 
You groomed your man's stuff. I mean, you just groomed yourself. You didn't look like a caveman all the time, right? You washed your car, right? You, you spoke nicely and softly. What did you do to win her? Because that's the same thing you're going to have to do to keep her. And all the women said? Amen. Now, ladies, <laughs> I told you I'm not taking sides. Now, ladies, the way you responded to his first pursuit is the way you need to respond now. Come on, men. Man, y'all awake. I mean, I like intentionally trying to help you out. You need to respond to his pursuits, ladies. When a man brings home flowers, reward him. That's nice, ain't good enough. Come on, your lips used to be chapped when you were dating, and now y'all don't even touch anymore. Put a big old lip lock on that brother. If he takes the garbage out, kiss him. He fixes your car, kiss him twice. It's the law of pursuit. However I pursued Cheryl to get her is how I'm going to have to pursue her to keep her. And it works both ways because she's got, a, she's got some responsibility too to respond to my pursuit. L- let a brother catch you every now and then. If he's chasing you, let him catch you. And the men said amen. But here's human nature, y'all. Human nature is to take for granted what you already have while pursuing what you don't have. That's human nature. You see, I look at men as cavemen. I think we still got some cavemen mentality in us. We think, I got wife. Bring her to cave. Done. Mark off the list. Got the wife. I go get the meat. I bring the meat home. Wife cook the meat. All right? I I make the babies. Wife take care of the babies. (laughs) Right? That's how men think. Men think, ladies, I'm going to let you in on a secret real quick. Men think in terms of points. I'm going to teach you something. So when your man buys you a rose, he's thinking he's just accomplished a week's worth of points. If he does housework, two weeks of points. If he takes care of the kids... Three weeks of points. You see, men see scoreboards. Every time we do something, we see a scoreboard. It says Cheryl and it says Jamie. And we're very competitive and we like to win, but we want our points to count. So everything we do has points. Right? We take you out on a hot date. A month's worth of points. If we watch a chick flick... Six months worth of points. Come on, somebody. If I got to go through a chick flick, I better get some points. Right? I'm just trying to help you ladies out, help you understand how men see things. But here's the truth, men. I want to let you in on a secret. All points expire at midnight. (laughs) Isn't that true? I mean, you bring your A game, and the next morning, you got to bring it again. Like, man, we went away for the weekend. I'm like, what up, you know? <laughs> Points, I'm winning. You got you to gotta love them every day. 
You see, we've got to love each other every day. The Bible says of God that his mercies are new every morning. You see, God loves us so much that his mercies are made new every morning. Come on, thank God for that. That when I woke up this morning, there was new mercy already laid out in front of me. Right? With our spouses, we have to love each other every day. It's not the big things that win. It's the everyday things that win. Right? It's the constant consistency of loving each other and caring for one another that help us to win. It's the everyday thing. Let me give you four lies of pursuit. If I marry the right person, I will always have that good feeling. These are lies of pursuit. If I marry the right person, I will always have that good feeling. If you've been married more than six months, you know this to be true. (laughs) You don't always have that loving feeling. Whoa, that love. You don't always have that, right? There's days I woke up, I didn't love Cheryl. There's days I woke up, I didn't like her. There's months she's had where she didn't like me. (laughs) She didn't love me very much. She didn't feel like it. Come on, somebody. There's going to be times when you don't feel like it. Second one is if if my emotions change towards my spouse, I must have married the wrong person. Ever heard that one before? Positive events should fuel our marriage long term. (laughs) You wish. If we've lost the passion in romance, there's no way to get it back. These are lies. How do I turn it around? Let's go to the end of the book and look real quick in Revelation chapter 2 verse 5. God talking to his people, he says this, look how far you have fallen. He says it with an exclamation mark, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Turn back to me, watch this, bring your eyes back around on your prize, bring your eyes back to your spouse and do what you used to do. Right? How do you fix it? How do you turn around? Some of you are sitting here today and and you're laughing and cutting up, but on the inside you're dying because your marriage is really on the rocks. It's really in a bad spot. And I want you to hear me today that if you'll turn your eyes back to your spouse and you'll just start to do what you used to do and even do some new things, God will turn it around. He'll turn it around. You got to remember God had a burning bush that didn't burn up. God's good with flames, baby. He's good with flames. Number three, the law of possession. It says this, and they shall become one flesh, the law of possession. We share everything. Come on, we share everything. Money, time, responsibility. We share discipline. My wife and I are on the same page when it comes to discipline. She don't have one way and I have another. We got the same way. She don't have a separate checking account. We got a joint account, right? We share the responsibility of the family. We share everything, time. She wears my clothes. I don't get to wear her clothes. It's weird and they don't fit. But we share everything. Stop hiding things from your spouse. You got to get this because God sees you as one. 
God sees you as one. When you said, I do, till death do us part, you said, you said in front of man and in front of God, I, I covenant this relationship with death. And then God went from seeing two individuals to one person in marriage. And so when he deals with you, he deals with you as one. When he blesses you, he blesses you as one. This is making sense. I've heard many people say, I wish my, my husband would grow as spiritually mature as I am. It's not true. Because you're one. You see, when you're one, one can't outgrow the other. You're one. I wish my husband could hear from God like I hear from God. You're one. I wish my wife knew the scriptures like I knew the scriptures. You're one. You can't outgrow each other. So stop believing the lies of the enemy that says, well, I just wish he would catch up. And let him frustrate you with where your spouse is. Instead, you need to realize you're one and you need to help one another. You want to grow individually? You're, you're, You're growing for the wrong reason. You need to grow together. Come on, you need to help each other grow in your relationship with Christ. It's encouragement. It's, it's challenge. It's not Bible beating each other. It's not putting each other down. We're one. It's the law of possession. The older Cheryl and I get, the more we share. We actually share meals now. It's pretty cool. I still get the biggest part of the steak. Every once in a while, if I forget my toothbrush, she lets me use a toothbrush. Oh, pastor, listen to me. We're one. I'm just saying. There's things that we share that we used to not share. But you not understand this. Whatever you're not willing to share will become a place of resentment in your marriage. You belong to one another. Your bodies belong to one another. We share decisions. Don't go buy a truck and come home and didn't tell your wife about it. We share our homes. We don't have separate homes. We share our beds. I know people that have separated into different bedrooms because one snores. We don't do that. You get one of them breathing apparatuses so you can sleep in the same bed with your wife or your husband. Right? Because there's no intimacy between the walls. Come on. <laughs> we share beds. We share ourselves. We share our monies. We share our kids. Right? We share. It's the law of possession. The last law is this, is the law of purity. I want to wrap it up with this one. The man and his wife shall... The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's the law of purity. There should not be any shame in your marriage. You will never experience the joy of the last law if you continue to break the first three laws. If you're frustrated with your intimate life, you're probably breaking one of the first three laws. I'm going to say that again. If you're frustrated with your intimate life, it's probably because you're breaking one of the first three laws. Be careful, listen to me clearly, I want you to hear me the rest of this. Be careful not to let culture sneak into your house. The world we live in today 
is at its craziest. It's at its most immoral state that it's ever been. You've got to refuse to let culture come in your house. Cultural norms are invading our homes. But listen to me, cultural norms don't belong in godly homes. Right? There's a, there's a magazine out called Town and Country. It's a design magazine, they tell me. And it's, it's a pretty popular magazine. I don't know if you've heard of it. But they had a, 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 a magazine that came out. And the very top of the magazine, on the cover, it says, How to, divor- how to Divorce Well. How to divorce well. So culture's trying to teach you how to divorce well, but God's trying to teach you how to press in and press through and let him do a miracle. And the church is saying, no, don't divorce. Keep going. Turn back to one another. Do what you used to do. Stir the flames up and watch God do a miracle and let him get the glory. Amen. But culture says, just give up and go get you another one. Marriage has become disposable. You don't like it, throw it out. Get a new one. Come on. That's the culture we live in. And we got to refuse to let that slip into the house. We don't use the D word in my house. We don't look at each other and say, I'm getting a divorce. We don't do that. There's no way out till death do us part. We made that covenant before God. Amen? Which means this, and we got to work this thing out. We got to work at it. There's got to be a whole lot of dying to myself. With the digital communications we have today, adultery is more rampant and easy than ever before. There was a website that was up a while back. I ain't going to tell you the name because most of you go Google it and you'll get in trouble. But there was a website and this title was, You Only Live Once, Have an Affair. Pretty crazy, right? So watch this. Every person that clicked on that website, their system got hacked. And then all of a sudden, their name came out in public with their address that they were on a site looking to have an affair. There was preachers, policemen, teachers, government officials, stay-at-home moms that were getting exposed. (laughs) That's the culture we live in. That's the world we live in. Online pornography is out of control. I was telling Cheryl the other day, back in my day when I was a teenager, you had to work to go find porn. Now porn works to find you. I'm seeing it is everywhere. It's on Nickelodeon. It's everywhere. Online pornography in the home gives you a 300% chance for divorce. It's everywhere. It's calling your name. It's pursuing you. It's coming after you. That's why I don't have a security code on my phone. My kids can pick up my phone and use it. I don't keep it on me all the time. I can leave it anywhere as I want to because my conscience is clear. I'm not hiding anything. We don't have passcodes that we don't know. Are you following me? We share everything. There's nothing hidden. We, I'm accountable to my wife. She's accountable to me. 
right? She can pick up my phone at any time and, and look at what I've been looking at or see who I've been calling or texting. She can go, we have a joint Facebook account. She knows my friends on Facebook. We share everything. You have to. Because here's why. When the law of purity is broken, it's the breeding ground for mistrust, guilt, shame, and anger. It's the breeding ground. Think about it. If your wife catches you looking at porn, what message did you just deliver to her? Let me tell you what she instantly starts to feel. The first lie the enemy spits at her is I'm not good enough. Which is a lie that he's probably been speaking to her since she was a kid. But now he's got something to back it up. I can't trust him anymore becomes her favorite statement. There's shame. You instantly start to feel shame and guilt and condemnation. You've opened up the door to the enemy to come into your life and bring damage and do damage. Amen? I'm just trying to help you understand because it's the world we live in. And if we don't talk about it, we're all going to pretend like we got it under control when we don't. And our marriages are going to be dying of this cancer of culture. And nobody's going to do anything about it or say anything about it. It's real. And I want to wake you up this morning. It's real. It's everywhere. Open up yourself to one another. Hold each other accountable. Stay pure in your marriage. Please. If you're caught up in something right now, stop it. Come clean. Come clean. You may want to write this down. If you have to sneak to do it, lie to cover it, or delete it to keep it from being seen, then you really don't need it. If you've got to sneak to do it, lie to cover it, or delete it to keep it from being seen, you don't need it. That's the best indicator you can have. Am I, am I trying to cover my phone so, so she can't see? Am I, am I sneaking off to places that she don't know I'm going? Am I doing things that he don't know that I'm doing? Am I, what, what am I sneaking around with? Because you need to stop that it's not any good for you. What are you hiding? What are you trying to cover up? What are you afraid to be seen? Amen? Let me give you this last verse. In Revelation chapter 2, it's verse 5. We just, we just showed, I'm going to give you the second half of the verse. It's God speaking to his people. He says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. I want you to hear me this morning that God's given us all a chance to repent. He's given us all a chance to turn back, to come back to one another, to turn towards one another and do things over again. God's given us another chance this morning. I feel like this message is a message of hope. It's a message of I can turn this around. It's a message of it's not too late. I can trust God and believe God for my spouse. 
I can change. Say that with me. Say, I can change. I believe the greatest blessing you ever give your kids is not a big bank account. It's not even a scholarship to college. It's not a vehicle. It's not a house. It's not property. The greatest gift you give to your kids is a marriage that is passionate, on fire, but yet real. A marriage that has its problems, but it's a work in progress. My kids know we fight. They know we disagree. But they also know when we make up. They see our passion for one another. They see their daddy's pursuit. I told Cheryl, as long as I could walk and run, I'm coming after you. I'm going to keep my tennis shoes on, baby. I'm coming. I'm just telling you right now, I might be 90 years old and take me a while to get there, but I'm going to get there. My kids get to see that. Right now, they think it's gross. I'll go in the, in the kitchen and lay a big one on her. Like, ah, oh, you're sick. I'm like, you dead going right? I'm love sick. I got a fever and everything. And the only cure is more kissing. <laughs> they, know, they know we're not perfect. You got to hear me in this. They know we're not perfect. They know we're a work in progress. And sometimes the greatest thing your kids can see is for you to say you're sorry to your spouse. Sometimes the best thing they can hear is for you to come and repent for something that you said in front of them about your spouse. The greatest message you preach in the world today is that my marriage is centered around God and it's successful because of God. Amen? Listen, here at Our Savior's Church, I just want you to have a great marriage. I want you to be passionately in love with one another. I want the flame to be flying high. Are you hearing me? I want you to be gross sometimes. I want you to be madly in love with one another. If you're single and you believe in God for the one or the person that he's going to bring into your life, you need to take all this in and you need to hold it in your heart because it's coming. It's coming. You need to ready yourself. Amen.